I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. It's a real honor to be joined today by S.A. Cosby, an Anthony Award-winning writer from Southeastern Virginia. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Razorblade Tears and Blacktop Wasteland, which won the LA Times Book Prize, was a New York Times notable book, and was named a best book of the year by lots of places. When not writing, he is an avid hiker and chess player. And his latest novel is called All the Sinners Bleed. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for writing this book for which I canceled many plans, it turned out. I was just too caught up. And, and so even just the, the premise of this book is gives you a lot of material to work with. Your protagonist is Titus Crown. He's a Black sheriff in a small Virginia county where monuments to so-called Confederate heroes are still standing. So what could be wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, Titus has, uh, he's in a very complex situation as a lot of folks who live in small Southern towns find themselves. I think there's this mistake in the rest of the country and in some parts of the South that the South is like the sole province of neo-Confederate apologists and nothing could be further from the truth. Those people exist, but they're not the majority and they don't speak for everyone. I'm a Southerner. I was born in the South, raised in the South. And to paraphrase James Ball, I love the South. And because I love it, I, 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 you know, I choose to, I, I had the right to criticize, you know, Mm -hmm. and because I know it to be better than what it is. And with Titus, I think he has a lot of those same sentiments. You know, he's, He's a southern a southerner who left and and, and created a life for himself and and uh, through un, some unfortunate circumstances has to come back. But 
you know, I don't think Titus ever feels like Sharon County isn't his home, you know, even though there's a Confederate statue, even though there's a Confederate group that wants to hold a, a rally, even though terrible things happen in Sharon, he still feels like this is his home and he's determined to try to protect it. Absolutely. And it, obviously that's the job of the sheriff or what it's supposed to be. And yet Titus is, of course, seen as a traitor to many for wanting to give it a go, trying to change the system from within. And that's also a really tough situation. Yeah. 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 It's like the, some of the white folks in town don't like him because he's a black sheriff. And some of the black folks in town don't trust him because he's a black sheriff. And he just wants to be a good sheriff. And it's not the absence of his identity as a black man. He doesn't want to erase that. And I don't want to erase that. But Titus, and I don't, I don't actually believe what Titus believes, but Titus believes that if you apply the law equally, that then you can merit, you can do what the, the mission statement of a sheriff's department or a police station is. You know, a lot of times you'll speak to African-American folks. Um, there's a big movement to abolish the police. And sometimes you'll speak to African-American folks who are like, well, I don't really want to abolish the police. I just want to be policed the same way as rich people are policed and white people are policed. I want to be given that benefit of the doubt. I don't really wade into the, into the abolitionist argument, but I do think Titus thinks that. He thinks if I just apply the law equally, you know, I'll, I'll be able to help people. And he keeps having obstacles thrown in his way, not the least of which is a school shooting and a murder. And then ultimately he finds out that there's been serial killers using his county as a dumping ground. And so all these obstacles that he faces. But the thing I like about Titus is, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine and we're both fanatical fans of a true detective season one. And he said something, mm. Travis Woods is name. He, he said, you know, Rust and Marty, the main character of true detective season one, are not really good guys, but when the darkness arose, they did not avert their eyes. And that is something I think about Titus, you know, Titus is the perfect. There's a mini love triangle going on in there. <laughs> yeah. He's done some things in the past. That he but when the darkness arose, he did not avert his And I think there's something to be said for that. I think there's something to be said for people who stand in the gap between the darkness and the light. Absolutely. And, and even in descriptions of Charon County, which is very much Titus's home, there is the, the specter that it could be haunted or cursed because so many atrocities have happened in this one place. Yeah. I think Faulkner talked about that, you know, the, the mm -hmm. accursed land, you know, and I, I don't, I never wanted the book to be supernatural, but I do think there's something to be said for maybe the, the psychic trauma of living in the South. I mean, where a place with so much blood in this building, so much pain is happening slavery, civil wars, riots, Jim Crow, all these things where people have lost their lives. You know, every scrap of land that you walk upon, someone has bled and died there in the South. And for the most trivial, trivial of reasons. And so I think Sharon is like a lot of tales in the South. It's, it's sort of psychically, uh, metaphorically haunted by his past. And so that specter hangs over it. You know, I come from a small town in the South where there's an island off the coast of, of my, where I live, the, the county that I was raised in. 
And, you know, 1920, 23, that island was full of black people. And uh, all of a sudden, white folks decided they wanted the island and all the black people were forced off, you know, some through violent means. And so that's not, you know, that's not something that's unusual. That's, you know, that's par for the course. And so I think Sharon is just sort of another in a long line of towns that feel that pall that, that cast is cast over it. Again, I didn't want to do, I didn't want it to be supernatural, but I did want to create this sort of sense of unease there. And no matter how good things are, you know, the season of pain, as a, one character says, is right around the corner. Absolutely. And and you don't give the reader much time to rest. Like, first chapter, boom, Titus is called to a school shooting. And then it just gets much worse from there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because I wanted to create a sense of, like, unease, but also a sense of panic. I wanted to, you know, to talk about these, you know, and I say one, one thing I did, like, so to give listeners an idea, the school shooting is not a mass shooting. It's a, a teacher's job by a former student. And then that former student is confronted by Titus's deputies. And even though Titus tries to de-escalate the situation, the former student is still killed. And so what happens in the book is what happens in real life. You know, there's this terrible event. And then something else terrible happened. And so that happens, our attention is drawn away from this horrific, terrible, awful event to the next horrific, terrible, awful event. And I think we haven't become so much desensitized as we're just so tired. We're all so exhausted. And that doesn't mean we don't care about these events, but it's just the propulsiveness of which these events happen. And in Titus' case, it's he finds out that the former student the teacher and a third mystery person were a trio of serial killers where the former student was sort of coerced to be a part of this. And so these are awful events and it's almost like people forget about the school shooting and that's what happens in real life, sadly. And so I really wanted to sort of replicate that in the book, you know, but there are times with Titus, you know, Titus has a father that he's, he lives with, he takes care of. And he has a brother that I wouldn't say he's estranged from. They, there's a, their their relationship has its, its difficulties, but they love each other. And I liked that for all the horrible, dark, brutal things that happened to Titus, when he's home with his brother and his father and they're sipping moonshine or, or drinking sweet tea and, and eating and having dinner, that there's a true bond there. They love each other, you know. A friend of mine who read an early draft of the book said, you know, the only time Titus really laughs is when he's with his brother or his father. And I hadn't noticed that until I went back and reread it. And so that sort of respite that he gets, given all the stuff he goes through, you know, like somebody told me once that uh, writing is putting your character in a tree and throwing rocks at it. And I think at some point <laughs> time, I was throwing bricks at poor Titan. But he can take it. He can take it. Absolutely. And you know, to go from not much later in the book, there's after the shooting, Titus discovers some terrible, terrible stuff on the dead teacher's phone. And that leads him to do more investigating. And it's so hard even as a reader to think about, you don't, you don't give much detail about what kinds of images he might be seeing, but it's hard to move on from that. As, as Titus, yeah. it's, it's hard for Titus too, to kind of go about his job or his life after seeing unseeable things. 
Yeah, he has a line in there where he wants to just burn those images from his eyes. And there's a scene later where his girlfriend asks him, you know, what did you find on the phone? He said, just terrible things. But he had this mental, this monologue in his head. It's like, you know, what if it's the worst thing you've ever seen? The worst thing anybody's ever seen. And he saw it over and over again. He said he just hold it. He has to hold it in because he can't share it with her. He doesn't want it to infect her. And, you know, that's the thing. It's funny. People ask me, like, who's your favorite character that you've ever created? And I love all my characters. Like, I don't have kids, but they're like my kids. You know, and I have a book called Dark, My Darkest Prayer. And Nathan Waymaker is a fun character. He's, you know, he's, I think, me turned up to 11 and way cool. I think Bug is one of my favorite characters just because Black Tie Wasteland was the book I wrote. I had nothing to lose. I had been dropped by an agent and I really poured everything I love about fiction, Southern fiction, into that. I think, you know, Razorblade Tears, Ike and Buddy Lee are two of my favorite characters because I understand the weight of grief, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's something about Titus, you know, I think it's, e- I don't say e- it's easier to write of outlaw, you know, because outlaws don't have to follow the rule. They just got to not get caught. That's the main. So to, <laughs> to create a character who is desperately trying to follow the rules, who is desperately trying to do the right thing, correct thing, and he still finds himself struggling. I think it was interesting to do that. It was interesting to be in that headspace and, you know, sort of create that sort of mentality and sort of create that that character. It, it was interesting to me to do that. It was really fun. I, I sort of, I laughed towards the end of the book. Titus's brother says something like, for someone who doesn't believe in God, you sure talk about religion <laughs> quite often. <laughs> his, him and his brother have really, it's funny, they have a really good rapport. And I like that, you know. There's a scene, Titus is called to a bar fight. And his brother's there. And he's sitting on the sidewalk. He's handcuffed. And it's a crowd and people are and, and, and everything. And, and so something happens. Titus does something to protect his brother because it's his little brother. And they get back to the holding cell. He's going through his brother's stuff, his property. And his brother has a belt with a belt buckle <laughs> on that's actually a knife. And I just asked him, he's like, what are you going to do with this? And his brother's like, cut people. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And so just this sort of rapport they have. Very funny. And, you know, and you know, later in the book, it's his brother that Titus is able to be vulnerable with and talk about something really bad from his past. Because he's a former FBI agent. And something that happened. And I think that relationship between him and his dad, but also that relationship between him and his brother is very important to Titus as a person. I think a lot of times when you read serial killer novels, or you read books about this sort of subgenre, there's three things I didn't want. I didn't want to mythologize the killer. I didn't want to create a situation where they, they were larger than life, that they, I didn't want to do, no, no disrespect to Thomas Harris, I love Red Dragon, but I didn't want to, Hannibal Lecter them. I didn't want them to become the focus of the story, right? The focus. Can I stop you there for a moment Mm -hmm. and ask about that a little bit? Because of course the, the third serial killer who is still alive and out there is someone who Titus refers to as the last wolf, even though when people in the community say like, can we call him weeping willow man? Titus, Titus says no. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's sort of, uh, uh, I guess, hypocritical of Titus. He doesn't want the community. 
He says something about, I don't want him, I don't want him to be a myth. He's just a man, right? But for his own sake, to create some distance from all these terrible things, he has to give him a name. And so it's, but he never tells anybody that he doesn't tell his dad. Mm-hmm. He calls him dad. It's always in his internal monologue. And so it's sort of this, this defense mechanism for him that mm-hmm. he can, you know, he, and he does it. He tells himself he's doing it as a placeholder until he catches it. See, he doesn't know his name. He doesn't want to just call him the killer. But what he doesn't want to happen, and it eventually happens because he has no control of that, is it does become sort of the mythology of the town. It does become this thing that the kids do and instead of playing Bloody Mary at mm-hmm. parties, they talk about the Weeping Willow Man. People, you know, the, the sales of guns and ammo goes through the roof. And, and so he does become sort of this shadow or it becomes a shadow. But I didn't want to do that as the writer. I never wanted to sure. put him on a pedestal. Yeah. So that was one thing. That's one. The second yeah. thing I did. Yeah, that's one. The second thing I didn't want to do is that I didn't want Titus to become an automaton. You know, automaton. I didn't want him to be perfect. You know, I wanted him to be very competent and intelligent, but he's also someone who's going through things. His relationship with his girlfriend is very shaky. You know, then an ex-girlfriend who's a reporter comes into town. And so there's something that happens there that, that shows that Titus is human. For all this, this, this persona of stealing determination that he creates, you know, he's a human being. He sees his ex-girlfriend, he gets nervous, you know? And so I didn't want to create this Superman. And again, it's funny because I'll, I'll reference Thomas Harris's Red Dragon. He did really, that's just the, my template with Will Graham, you know? Will Graham isn't a superhuman cop. Will Graham isn't, mm-hmm. you know, physically imposing. Will Graham is incredibly brilliant and empathetic, which is different than sympathetic. And so I wanted to create something similar to that with Titus, you know, that he's someone who could see the big picture through the minutia, but at the same time, he's human. He has frailties, he has faults, you know, he has a temper. He has, you know, his heart is not where it should be, maybe. And so the third thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want the, didn't want the town, the townspeople to just be cannon father. And so there are, there are victims that are found at the beginning of the book, and there are victims that happen in the book, in the current timeline of the book. But those victims are very specific to the motivations of the killer. I just, I didn't want it to be a slasher flick. I get that. No, in fact, I like slasher flicks, but that's not, I didn't want to do that. I, I think when you do that, and I'm a fan of darker fiction, I've read all types of serial killer and thriller and suspense novels. I think when you make the, the supporting characters or random characters just cannon fodder, you do desensitize the reader to the seriousness of the story. And so those are three things I didn't want to do. That being said, I still wanted the killer to be terrifying. I still wanted them to be, I wanted to be suspenseful and I wanted them to be a threat. I'm a firm believer that your hero or is only as strong as your, as, as your villain. You know, you have to, if to have a great hero, they had to have a great villain to overcome. And so, you know, I didn't want the killer to be brilliant. You know, he's not a, you know, he's not a physicist, <laughs> but I did want them to be clever and cunning and really a challenge to Titus. So when or if he's able to overcome them, then that makes it the catharsis that much more exciting. Absolutely. And you get a little bit into Titus's past in the FBI even just in terms of the skills he brings to the table when he's trying to pursue this other killer, the profiling. I'm wondering about 
your research for that kind of stuff like it 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 sounds like you have been reading a lot of books <laughs> before you wrote it <laughs> yeah yeah i read shadow hunter by john douglas i read a book by robert wrestler and john douglas and robert wrestler are, are, are two of the many people who created the fbi's behavioral science unit i read books by people like robert Smith talking about the hunt for the Zodiac. I read a lot of articles about, uh, you know, borderline personality disorder and stuff like that. I was actually lucky enough. I can't say who it was, but a friend of a friend got me an interview, a phone call with someone who was a former FBI agent. They didn't want to be, they don't want to be publicly identified. And so I can't reveal my source, but <laughs> talking to them was really interesting. Some of the stuff that's in the book where Titus talks about string theory as a, as a theory of how to solve a crime and how every crime is just, you just got to keep pulling at the threads until it fall, it comes apart or you rip it apart. And so that was sort of taken with those conversations. The thing that I took from those conversations and also reading those books is that, you know, the people in the FBI or any, any high level law enforcement organization, they're not superheroes. They're not good at what they do because they're better than anybody else, but they, a lot of them are really driven and a lot of them are really disciplined to the detriment of their personal life. You know, it's, it's sort of like, it's like you have a genius, like you have Mozart, and you know, he's a genius. He's an incredible composer, musician, but he's a terrible friend and he's an awful boyfriend. He's, he's because they can only, they're myopic in the way they see the world. They can only see the world through the prism of this incredible skill that they have. And so it makes one thing the guy told me that I was talking to, he said, you know, when, when you've been doing this for a while, you don't trust anybody because everybody lies, everybody lies. And I was like, that's such a powerful, but sad thing, you know? And I think Titus has a little bit of that. Like he, he, he loves his dad. He loves his brother. He loves Darlene, his girlfriend, but he doesn't a hundred percent trust anybody. Really. It's hard for him to trust people until the very end of the book. That kind of segues into what Titus describes as, as his own religion. He no longer <laughs> believes in God, but like you've got the closet that's perfectly organized. You've got his routines. You've got him trying to follow the rules. It, it seems like he's always just grasping at control above all else. Yeah, it's funny. And I think he's, you know, he's one of these people who is really trying to impose order and structure on an indifferent universe. You know, my mom used to say, if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. And mm -hmm. Titus is one of these people that continuously makes plans. He's trying so hard. You know, he had an event in his, in his youth where he has, his mother passed away and the circumstances of them, he blames himself, even though he should, you know, his mother had a very disease and, you know. I, I leave it sort of vague, but you get the feeling that she didn't go to the doctor and she sort of relied on faith healing until it was too late. And he feels like, oh, I was 12 years old. I should have made her, but I should have stepped in and did something. I had to be the adult in the house because at the time his father was drinking and so on and so forth. And, you know, I think for me, one of the things about this book, you know, the, the, the serial murder case and the racial politics and dynamics are the, are the honey. But the medicine is really this sort of 
journey of self-reflection for Titus. That by the end of the book, I, I hope he's in a place where he realizes he doesn't have to fix everybody and everything, you know? And I think that's something that he bears his weight. He's a self-identified penitent, you know? And his penance is he has to fix everything for everyone. And Marquise, his brother tells me that, you know, you don't have to do anything for anybody. You know, why are you here? You're not going to stay here. You know, you, you are too much and too smart for this town. And Titus is like, no, this is my responsibility. I have to do it. If I'm, if I'm not going to do it, who is? And so, you know, I think he goes on this journey of self-discovery, you know, and that he realizes that maybe the way he's lived his life isn't healthy. And maybe the way he lived his life has held him back. And uh, hopefully if he makes it to the end, he'll realize that, you know, the only person you need to be responsible for really, unless you have children, is yourself. I found it really interesting that Titus's journey trying to do good in law enforcement from the inside is very similar to his father's path of becoming very religious to yeah. to atone for his his mistakes as a father and it's the irony of turning to institutions that are thoroughly corrupt in almost a similar way. Law enforcement and the church, the the hypocrisy that is there in both. And I'm I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about Yeah. I think we seek, I think Titus and his dad, we seek, you know, order and we seek absolution. And the some way to do that is do it in 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 institutions that already exist, places where we already know the rules. For his dad, it was the church. I think his dad understood the church. You know, he may not have agreed with it all the time, but he understood it. It gave him purpose. For Titus, this sense of, you know, he's sort of like a knight errant. He really wants to protect people. He really wants to do the right thing. And he does beat himself up. He feels like something, you know, he blames himself for his mom. And so this idea of going into police work, especially when he went into the FBI, it was sort of this idea like, okay, I'm not going to do I've seen what the local law enforcement is like, how corrupt that is. I'm going to go to the next level up. I'm going to be an FBI agent and I'm going to use that because that's a more productive, that's a less corrupt system. And then he runs smack into something that, you know, he realizes the, you know, it's like the corruption is at the root of, you know, like something, I don't want to give it away, but something happens while he's an FBI agent. It makes him realize, well, yeah. So if you're in any form of law enforcement, you definitely are above the law. You can get away with just about anything. And so as he goes on in the book, you know, I, I like to think of it like a house. I think Titus thinks you can repair the house of law enforcement. If you just, it's, he's a little naive in that respect because he feels like if I just try hard enough, if I just make sure everybody's treated equally, everything will be all right. And it's like sort of like putting spackle on the walls of a house that has a rotten foundation, you know? It doesn't matter how much paint you do, how much you clean the floors, the house is gonna collapse from inside out. And so I think, I think Titus understands that toward the end of the book. It's a difficult reality for him to accept. I think to a certain extent, his father gets that. There's a scene in the book where <laughs> a really shysty minister is rude to Titus's father. And Titus stands up for him. He stands up for him. He calls him out. And I think his father realized, okay, I want to do these good things, but maybe this nation isn't the place to do it. And I think it's interesting. They both come to that 
sort of epiphany. But I think the thing I like about Titus is he, as much as the disdain as he has for religion and church, and he doesn't, he doesn't ever look down on his dad. You know, he doesn't agree with him, but because he loves him, he's not going to let somebody just, you know, talk some smack to him either. And so I love their relationship. I love their, their father-son bond, but also their friendship. You know, my previous books have been very, the father-son relationships have been very fraught with toxicity and pain and and trauma. And it was different. It was fun to sort of write this one. You know, Albert's, you know, the kind of dad I think anybody would like. You know, he's funny, he's stubborn, but, you know, he loves his sons, both of them, equally. He cooks. Yeah, he cooks all the time. He loves to cook. He he likes to make peach tea. You know, uh, he loves his boys. He's honest with Titus. You know, there's a situation where Titus is telling him about his ex-girlfriend coming to town and, and Albert tells him, I, I don't remember exactly, but he says, well, I'll tell you what, if you're going over to see your current girlfriend, you better not have that look on your face. He's going to know <laughs> you still like this other girl. And Titus is a little embarrassed by that. But they, you know, ultimately the three of them, Titus, Marquis, and Albert, they love each other very much. And I think, I think, you know, speaking frankly, I think it's important to show that in black male relationships sometimes, that you can love each other health in a healthy way. That's not toxic, that's not, that's not uh, dependent on, you know, outdated modes of masculinity. You can just love each other. You can just care about each other. Plus, Marquise gets the best line in the whole book. I can't give it away. It's toward the end, uh, but it's it, he says it to Titus toward the end of the book. And I think it's the thing that ultimately makes Titus realize where his journey is supposed to go. So, uh, but I love those guys. They're, I love their relationship. We uh, we love those guys too, um, Sean. <laughs> before before we let you go, um, would you like to recommend some books for us? Yes. So currently, I am reading Red London by Amakatsu. It's an, an espionage thriller set in uh, a well, it's in near future, but in a, uh, a, a in a timeline maybe a year or two away about a new Russian leader who's taken over for Putin and how this young lady, Lindsay Duncan, who is a, uh, a CIA analyst, how she has to navigate that in trying to stop a, a tragedy from happening in London. I really love Alma's work. She's a former actual CIA a- analyst. So she definitely brings a sense of reality and a sense of understanding to the process of being a person who works in the intelligence field. Uh, so that book's really good. I'm in the process of finishing that up. I just finished Ozark Dogs by Eli Craner, which is sort of a modern day take on the Hatfields and the McCoys in Arkansas. And it's about a grandfather trying to protect his granddaughter from a blood debt that his son incurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eli is an incredible writer. I think Eli is writing about the South in a way that few people are with honesty, but also empathy and sensitivity. He's a really good writer. And I've got to meet him. He's a really nice guy too. And then uh, the last book I'll recommend, it's been out for a while, but I still think it, it needs, I, it doesn't get as much attention as I think it deserves, is um, Like a Sister by Kelly Garrett. It's a modern mystery. Oh, for it's the, so good. Uh, yeah, for the influencer age uh, by a young lady whose sister is an Instagram influencer who was found dead in New York City. And she determines to investigate the crime because she doesn't believe it's an accident or an overdose. Um, and Kelly is such, is such a talent for creating strong 
female characters who are, are fully realized women. They're not what, what sometimes male characters will, male writers will do. They'll take a character. It's really a man falling to his purposes, but they just name it a woman. And so Kelly's able to really articulate and create these complex, nuanced characters who are fully fleshed women, um, who all have incredible agency. And so I love that book. Um, one last, one last one. Uh, this one's been out for a while too, but it's uh, What's Done in Darkness by Laura McHugh, uh, about a young lady who was kidnapped uh, when she was a teenager. She escapes. And then 10 or 15 years later, a state police investigator wants her to come back. There's been a kidnapping very similar to hers, and he wants to, her to help uh, maybe try to catch this person. Uh, it has seen that of similar to Alston as Bleed, Religious Mania, Small Tale, Demagoguery. Uh, but Laura is such a, a plaintive writer. What I mean is she has a, what is, appears to be a deceptively simple style, very plain-spoken stuff. But, man, she's really talking about deep, deep issues that exist, not just in rural communities, but in America as a whole. And so uh, I really love that book. Well, thank you so much. Lots of good recommendations. And All the Singers Bleed is out now. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.